Canaan. It's all about Jesus. It's not about religion. It's about relationships. Where beginners are welcome. Where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And it's okay to not be okay. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's Canaan STL podcast. This is Pastor Daniel here today again with Pastor Martin Winslow. And today we're just talking about Christmas. It's a great time of the year. Uh, at least most of us think so, right? And um, it's just a lot of fun, a lot of extra celebration, a lot of family time. But it's also a time where we really focus on some pretty deep theological issues, primarily God becoming flesh. Yeah. And that's a, a huge, mm-hmm. huge deal. So, uh, but let's just kind of start with some generalities, some kind of fun stuff. So, Martin, what is, um, when it comes to the Christmas story, right? Mm-hmm. The history, what is kind of your favorite piece of all that? I think when I look back at scripture, my favorite part of the Christmas story would be seeing like this progression from the Old Testament, these promises about the Messiah coming mm-hmm. to seeing just how well Jesus fulfilled those things. Yeah. Um, you know, you and I did a, a book last year called The Seventh Birthday, which talked about all these barren women who yep. had these children who are kind of like prototypes of Jesus. And then and then you get to number seven and it's and it's Jesus. And so probably just like that string of meta narrative mm. that gets to that main story of Christ coming. And, you know, you can look at that from a lot of different angles, from the promises of like the virgin birth right. to like these barren birthdays. I just love to see that, that I guess that golden chain yep. kind of string the Scarlet thread. The scarlet yeah, thread. absolutely. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it is really neat. You know, last night in, in our Advent, um, I read a story. I've, I've read it several times, even used it in a sermon. I, I use it all the time in my New Testament class. But you're looking at the... The Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in this most literal, natural, normal, mm-hmm. customary sense. Um, there was this guy from MIT. Mm. His name was Steve. Him or his last name, but this is all documented in the Advent book we did uh, last night. But uh, this guy Steve from MIT took just eight of those prophecies. Mm. You know, like um, that G- that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and yet out of Egypt I called my son, and he would be called a Nazarene. Yeah. You know, those three very, very seemingly different prophecies right. that Jesus fulfilled all three very naturally. Yeah. But he took eight eight prophecies. Now, there's like 300, but he took eight of them. And somehow, being an MIT math genius guy, right, he figured out the odds. What are the odds of one man fulfilling hmm. all eight of those specific prophecies in its most natural, right. normal, customary sense? And he found out that it... Um, he calculated somehow, right, that the odds of any one man fulfilling his prophecies is one to one times ten to the like fifty seventh power. Wow! It's like ten thousand trillion or something like that. Some crazy, not going to happen, astronomical right. number, right? And then he gave a visual for that. He said, "So just let me." He, he wrote this in the in the, in his article. He said, "Let me just give you a, an illustration of that number." He said, "If you were to take a random quarter and put an X on it, a red X. And then you took one times 10 to the 57th power quarters. You could take all those quarters and spread them over the entire state of Texas. And it would be two feet high. That's a lot of quarters. That's a lot of quarters, right? And then the odds of one man fulfilling all those is like you parachuting into Texas randomly and randomly just picking up a quarter. And it's that quarter with the red X. on. Wow. Wow. So, in other words, 
It's impossible. That's exactly right. It's just not going to happen. That's right. And it's, that's only eight prophecies. That's only eight. Yeah, that's not the that's 300. That's not counting the 300. Absolutely, yeah. which is mind-blowing. <clears throat> mind-blowing. Right. The specificity yeah. of the prophecies and the um, the accuracy yeah. and the detail level to which Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. Right. It's just, it is mind-boggling. Incredible. Absolutely. Yep. So it's like when you study, and, and you've you've seen this, I know, because of what you're saying, but when you go deeper into the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, and you begin to understand it better and mm-hmm. what it's saying about the future from like the promises of there's going to be a forever king on your throne, David, in Second Samuel, to to those prophecies, even about the crucifixion. Right. Right? Out of Absolutely. Psalm 22, like we see on the road to Emmaus, you know, yeah. Jesus is saying, hey, these things were written about me in the law. That's right. In the prophets and in the history. That's exactly. In the Old Testament. Which which were all three sections of the Hebrew Old Testament. All three sections. So you can find Jesus there. And as you study it more, you see more, wow, he fulfilled these things with the specificity that you said. Absolutely. And what's Um, fascinating, like Psalm 22 you mentioned, it writes, David writes about the crucifixion. Right. And David, that's like like late, early 900s BC, right or 1000 BC. The Romans hadn't even invented crucifixion yet when that was written. Right. That is just... Amazing. It is. Yeah. It is amazing. And it's spelled out in such a way that it's it's clearly crucifixion. That's right. What yep. David's talking about. But yep. he wouldn't have known that he was talking about that. That's so you know? true. Yep. Yeah, very similar with Isaiah and yep. uh, the messianic suf- the suffering servant. Right. Right. Well, Isaiah was it fifty three? Fifty three, yeah. Um yeah, just the specificity mm. that mm. Isaiah goes to there of crucifixion. Yeah. And, you know, I heard D. James Kennedy once, he he took Isaiah 53, and he, he would say that uh, down in Florida where he was at, when he found a Jewish person, he would read Isaiah 53 to him, and he would say, who is this talking about? Mm. He would just randomly yep. read Isaiah, and they'd say, well, that's got to be talking about Jesus. And he'd be like, but that's the prophet Isaiah. Right. That's right. But I agree, it is talking about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. You know, and well, that's what the, when Philip in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian yeah. eunuch, that's what he was that's reading. What he's reading. Isaiah yeah, 53. Right. And, and, you know, we had a, a gentleman come in here for a while who was uh, born and raised Jewish. He was mm. Jewish by blood. And, and he, he was, he was a, a practitioner of the Jewish mm. faith. Isaiah 53 is what the Lord used to save him. Wow. So he became a follower of Jesus. Incredible. Because of Isaiah 53. Yeah. Powerful, wow. powerful prophecy. Yeah. So it's just a, a, amazing. So I agree with you. I yeah. love that aspect of Christmas, just talking about the, the letter of fulfillment. Yeah. That Jesus accomplished in those prophecies of his first yeah. coming. You know, not that we're talking about this today, but which gives you a paradigm for second coming. Yeah. You know, sure. we should we should <coughs> treat those prophecies about Jesus' second coming yeah. just as literal, just as natural, just as normal. Cause that's how Jesus fulfilled the first coming that's prophecies. Right. That's right. But again, that's a different story. And right. we'll we'll tackle that here in twenty two. Uh the whole eschatology question, right? <laughs> but you know, I think um one of my favorite aspects of the Christmas story is kind of what we talked about this past Sunday, and that is just the powerful truth of how Jesus, his beginning is not Christmas. Yeah, right. He's always been. And to know that part of his sacrifice, probably more of his, I would say probably a greater sacrifice than even the cross was him just leaving heaven to begin with. Absolutely. I mean, I just, I try to imagine what is what is the most amazing, incredible place I've ever been? Yeah. You know, and in terms of comfort or luxury mm-hmm. or, um, you know, convenience. Did you want to leave? Absolutely not. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to leave, yeah. right? Especially, especially <clears throat> if I know I'm going to somewhere awful. 
you know, right. and right. earth compared to heaven and its yeah. fallen state is awful compared yeah. to heaven. Now, praise yeah. the Lord, he's got a divine plan to restore to the yeah. new heaven, new right. earth where, you know, but, you know, and just, it's just, that moves me to all about as much as anything about yeah. Jesus has done is that he left heaven to begin yeah. with. You know, and so yeah, we looked at um, Philippians two this past week, which is just a powerful old hymn that Paul yeah. was quoting. And there's just a lot in there, so let's just kind of pick that apart theologically and sure. just kind of go through that a little. What we did Sunday, maybe add a little more to it. Um, but you you pick up that passage in verse five, and and Paul just talked about you know have joy and have um, harmony and mm-hmm. unity, love for each other in the church. Um, you know, don't look at others as. Um, don't look down on others. In other words, esteem others as better than yeah. yourself and right. look out not only for the interests of yourself, but also for others, that kind of teaching. And then he kind of summarizes, he said, you know, so let this mind or let this attitude yeah. be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. That's verse five. And then he goes on to verse six, and that's where this whole hymn picks up. Yeah. And says, first he says, who although he was in the form of God, yeah. did not consider it equality um, to be grasped, his right. equality with God to be grasped. So let's, let's, let's pick that apart. So first of all, this word, form of God. Mm-hmm. Jesus is in the form of God. What does that mean? So the Greek word there is morphe, and it has to do with the outward appearance, but also would include the inner essence that you can't see with the physical mm-hmm. eyes. Yeah, so like the outward appearance is a manifestation of right. the inner essence. Yep, right. Yep. Yeah. And in the early church, I know whenever they, um, you know, this is called, they, they refer to this in Latin as the Carmen Christi, the song of Christ. Mm. And they think in the early church that it was sung. It's mm. good theology. Yes. And it's teachable just like we sing our songs today. They're all teaching theology. Yep. And so the early church would sing about this knowing that the depths of the incarnation, because like you said, the words here, all these words really matter. They do. They're so technical, yeah. so precise in yeah. their meaning. Like Morphe, the form of God. You know, mm-hmm. and we'll get to some other words similar yeah. as we journey through this passage, but that Morphe word is so powerful. Yeah. Outward appearance emanates from the inner essence. Yeah. So Jesus' essence is God. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so so great. But then it says he did not regard his equality with God as something to be grasped. Right. I'm ESV. So what mm-hmm. what does uh, what does that mean? Yeah. So uh, we get the word. There's a Greek word there, har- harposmo, and it, we get the word harpoon from it, mm. like that you you would stick in something and pull it back to you. Mm. Um, and so he didn't he didn't hold on to that equality with God. Yeah. Uh, as something to be grasped or held on to, not let let go of. And yep. so when you roll out of cha- uh, chapter two, verses three through four, when you see this idea of putting the needs of others above your own, right? right. Even though you may have a right mm-hmm. to be honored in such a way, that's not something that we should hold on to or grasp. And the example is in verse five, yep. Jesus have the same attitude. Yep. So so don't hold on to that lofty. This is all about humility, Absolutely. Right? And that's Absolutely. the picture that Jesus gave up the glory of heaven, right? He mm. leaves it behind as something to not be held on to in the incarnation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, um, I love the harpoon analogy. That's a good yeah. good word picture there. And I know one translation uses the word cling as something not to be cl- not to cling, cling to. to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So he did. He he let it go. And that's what the ne- very next phrase um, says here as we get into verse six or verse seven. He says, yeah. "But he emptied himself." Right. Or some translations say he made himself nothing. Yeah. Greek word kenosis is the yeah. emptying. Right. The opposite would be to be filled. Right. So he emptied himself. 
Big debate um, on this, right? Yeah, I mean, this is interesting, right? What what did Jesus empty himself of? Well, we can't say that he emptied himself of his deity. No, because um, he continued to be God in the flesh. Exactly. And you and you'll hear people say, well, you know, he must have emptied himself of deity, but we know that the scriptures teach clearly that Jesus is both God and man. That's right. Uh, Colossians chapter two verse nine says that you know in him the fullness of deity dwelled bodily. Bodily. That's right. So it's got the word soma yep. for body and yep. deity. Yep. Um, so you've you've got the Godhead there, but when we talk about the emptying there, the kenosis, we believe it's his right to be worshipped. He emptied himself of the glories of heaven, Hmm. of the angels around the throne room, like we see in Isaiah 6, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Yeah. Um, That's really good. You know, it was, um, because all those things still happened. He was worshipped some. Yeah. He still had some glory, Mm -hmm. but he didn't have the fullness of the glory or the fullness of the worship he had experienced in heaven. Mm -hmm. Like in John 17, he prays. You know, Father, glorify me now with the glory I had when I was yes. with you before before time began. Right. right. So he he misses that mm. and he yearns for that. But and it does show that even though he was glorified here on earth, not to the extent he had been yeah. in heaven. So there was a difference, a little bit of an mm. emptying. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I mean another <clears throat> practical emptying that took place. I mean, he he was confined to flesh. Mm-hmm. He became he, he was not omnipresent. Right when he was here on Earth, right. he could not be in multiple multiple places at the same moment. Right, so that was a self imposed restriction yeah. that he emptied himself mm-hmm. of. But he didn't cease to be God, like you right. said. That is a huge distinction. He did not yeah. cease to be God. He continued to be God, but mm-hmm. he also forever became human. Right. I, I've heard it said uh, in the incarnation, um, he remained what he was, but he became what he was not. That's right. And so, he and he will remains, now forever be right. He will forever be God forever and forever be, God, be human and forever be. That's human, right. Right in the incarnation, that changed things. Absolutely, you know? didn't change the being of God because he remained what he was. Yes, but he became what he was not. He took on the form of man. That's right. Which and is we'll the next never, verse? Which is yes, the next verse? Yes. Said he. So he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. Mm-hmm. So that word "form" is morphe again. Yeah. So. Being a servant is the essence of who Christ is, yeah. which is powerful. Yeah, right. Very powerful. But then it says, being found in the likeness mm-hmm. of man. Now, this is another interesting word here, mm-hmm. likeness. Right. A homoi usas, right? right? So break that word down for us. Yeah, so um, so we get the word – actually, there's another word, homoios, which means likewise or like. Um, and when we talk about you know what – the person of Jesus, was Jesus like God or was Jesus God? And there's two different Greek words for that. Homoiousis is this word, uh, he's like God. Similar. Similar, right, of similar substance. Homoousia is that he is of the same substance. Yes. And so when it comes down to the likeness Mm -hmm. of man, uh, I know a lot of commentators have pointed to the fact that well, yeah, he he was man in the flesh, but he was yes. only the likeness of man because he's still the only begotten Son of God. That's right. He's the he's the unique one that was only that was the only person ever to be God and man. That's right. And so that makes him in the likeness yes. of man. 
Yes. Does that make sense? So yeah, in, in the in the Septuagint, which is yeah. the Greek translation of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. we see in Genesis one twenty six where God said, "Let us make man in our image, in our likeness." likeness. It's the right. same word. Yes. yes. Homoi, because right. although man is like God, right. Similar. Yeah. Man is not exactly the same stuff as God. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So it leaves room for like, similar, but also a little different. Right. So let's unpack that just briefly. How yeah. is how is Jesus like man, mm-hmm. but how is he not exactly like man? Yeah. So there's a there's a word, and you can see this in John's gospel, and it's the Greek word monogenes, which means um, we we translate it only begotten a lot mm-hmm. of times, but that word genes can it can either mean one of a kind. Or race, that word genes means kind of race. It can also mean um, one born. And so we typically translate that only begotten, but you'll notice in a lot of the newer versions, they translate it one of a kind. Mm. Because Jesus is the only God man. That's right. And so the likeness of human flesh is totally fine because, mm-hmm. like you said, uh, he's, he's made like God in the image of God because he's fully man, just like us. Yes. And so when Genesis one twenty six is saying, make him in the likeness, Jesus is just like us in that sense. Yes. But he's also the one of a kind, the yes. only one to be both deity and humanity right. in fullness. That's right. Absolutely. So people can get confused there, but they yeah. need to know that it's not like Jesus was 50% man and 50% God. Correct. He's 100%. He's all in all. Truly man, truly yep. God. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And just to add to that, because right after that, it's being says in the likeness of man being found in appearance as yeah. a man. That word appearance is the Greek word schema, right. which is a synonym for morphe, but it's got a little bit different meaning. Whereas morphe is where the outward appearance is a reflection or a, a, a manifestation of the inner essence. Right. Schema is more focused on just the outward appearance, but it does concede that there are the the modes, the mannerisms, the attributes right. of that form. Mm. So this would mean that okay, so Jesus is man. He has the the modes, the attributes, the mannerisms of man. Right. That's the that's the Greek word schema. Right. And so it's a little it's a little less strong, mm-hmm. if you will, than morphe. Right. So morphe was his form of God. Schema is his appearance as a right. man. And I think I think both are very important in the early church because you had a, a group that rose up early called the Gnostics. Yep. And they even think some of the writings in the New Testament are against Gnostics. Yep. There was also a group called Docetus. Yep. And that comes from the Greek word to seem. And they would argue that Jesus seemed human. That's right. And there's this famous story that the Docetists would tell about Peter and Jesus walking on the seashore next mm-hmm. next to the water. And when Peter turned around and looked he could see his footprints, but not Jesus. <laughs> and so the idea that's was... Where the, that's where the whole footprints poem came from. Right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> so the argument was of the docetist that he only seemed like a man, but he really wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. But that word puts that to rest. Absolutely. No, he really was. That's right. Yeah. And the Gnostics were very similar. Yep. The Gnostics believe anything physical is evil. Right. Therefore, Jesus could, could not have, have been, been physical. physical. That's but, right. But Philipp- Philippians 2... Mm. Totally debunks mm. that myth, yep. right? As Absolutely. does much, much of the gospels. You know, yep. Thomas touching his flesh. I mean, right. so much debunks that that heresy of the Gnosticism. So he's found in appearance as a man, uh, and then of course he became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. So it shows all of Jesus' great humiliation right. that he brought upon himself. He did it voluntarily. He yep. left heaven, coming to earth in the most humble manner. Right. 
and then lived a life of humility, mm-hmm. even dying, not in just humility, but in humiliation yeah, right. for us. Right. And then it totally goes the other direction. Therefore, for this reason, that's, that's right. right. Yep. God has highly exalted him. Yeah. yeah. So it's just a beautiful, mm. I love this. I love this old hymn. Yeah. I wish I knew how, I wish I knew the original tune, mm. you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but uh, it's just such, so powerful theology. But to me, that, I mean, this yeah. is bodies, the Christmas story. Yeah, absolutely. It really it embodies the whole gospel, yeah. but it definitely includes the Christmas narrative yeah. of how, how did that infant in the manger mm. arrive? Yeah. You know, and Something we're going to talk about this Sunday, not to let the yeah. cat too far out of the bag. How, the angels, what was their role in this? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, my contention is I believe that they were just as surprised as cre- as the rest of creation mm-hmm. because it ought to be couched in mystery. Right. You know, right. know where the Bible says the angels, angels long were in to on look the, in yes, these things, right? They do long to look into these things. Mm-hmm. And why would the entire multitude of the heavenly host yeah. all of a sudden just fill the sky at night right. with the shepherds? Because they knew God was going to fulfill his yeah. promise, but maybe they didn't know how God was going yeah. to fulfill his promise. And then they saw it. And then they saw that God himself is the one that came. Yeah. And they were just so that's really cool. blown away. Yeah. Right? And so, yeah, they yeah. praised, they exalted, they rejoiced yeah. because his mm. salvation, God himself, mm. had entered into his creation yeah. to rescue it. The yeah. greatest act of love yeah. in all of history. You know, I heard, uh, it's been years ago, and I can't remember where I heard this. Of course, it's, it's just kind of a parable, but it's based on Philippians 2. Because like you started off, you know, the argument in Philippians, this letter, is like, because this happened in the gospel, Paul's saying to the Philippian believers, do this. This is, this is like what has been modeled for you through the gospel. And there's all this contention that you find out going on in the book of Philippians. Mm. You know, even two women are named by, you know, by their personal names in the letter forever because they're bickering. Yep. But I heard this story once about <clears throat> uh, an old man who the preacher had many times, he'd went out and tried to reach this guy with the gospel before he would die, you know, and he's by himself and he's out on a farm. And the hang up for the guy was this idea of God becoming a man. He's just like, I don't, I can't believe that. Mm. I cannot believe that God would ever become a man. And it's cold outside. He's by himself. It's winter time. He's got the fire going. And this bird hits the window. Right? You probably heard this story. Go ahead. Before. It's a good story. Go ahead. And then a few more birds start hitting the window, trying to get in and out of the cold by the fire. Right? And so he goes outside, he takes a blanket, he's trying to shoo these birds over towards his barn, because inside the barn, there's a light, and that light's warm, and he's trying to get them inside the barn so they don't die, and so they just keep hitting his window. And he tries everything he can to get them to go over into the barn. And he has this moment where he thinks, if I could just become a bird, I could show them where to go, right? And the interesting thing is, when you look at Philippians 2, is that passage starts off, and it's really a command to act like Jesus. And then Paul goes into all that. I want to just tell you how much he did give up, Mm. right? Yep. And this guy, the light comes on for him. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what Jesus did for us in the gospel. So it's a parable. It's kind of goofy, and it doesn't encapsulate all of the idea. It's got the main idea, though. But it gets the main idea. Yep. Absolutely. That's good stuff. It's good stuff. So Christmas week. Um, don't know what your favorite part of the Christmas story is, but share that with someone. 
Uh, and especially as we get near to Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, make sure as a family you do read the Christmas story. Um, if that's not one of your traditions, that should be one at the very top of your list. Um, especially for you dads and granddads out there, you can start that, and that's, that becomes an unforgettable thing. I know we've done some funerals here lately, and both of those it was mentioned, he read the Christmas story on Christmas Day to our family. That was just huge. Yeah. What a, what a great legacy to leave. Well, all of you have a very Merry Christmas. Um, pray that y'all enjoy the celebration of our Lord's birth and him leaving heaven to yeah. begin with for us, but also enjoy each other. And uh, like the angel said, may there be true peace on earth through Christ. Merry Christmas. We'll talk to you next time as we begin to unpack the virgin birth next week on Kane and STL Podcast. Talk to you then.